Hey everybody, what's up? It's your boy MJ. Welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is the co-founder and winemaker of Brewer Clifton, Greg Brewer. Greg started his career as a French instructor at UC Santa Barbara before being trained in wine production at the Santa Barbara Winery in 1991. He created Brewer Clifton with original partner Steve Clifton in 1996. And Greg was also instrumental in designing Melville Winery, where he worked as winemaker from its inception in 1997 through 2015. And in 2020, Greg was named Winemaker of the Year by Wine Enthusiast Magazine. Welcome, Greg. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited and honored to be here. This is, I could tell you, you know, you guys have seen the outtakes. We just did a Before the Pours, like one of the longest. It was so fun. This I should have booked three hours, but Greg's so busy. So we got to get this in. <laughs> <laughs> But I tell you, it's gonna be a lot of laughs, and I'm super excited you're here, man. Thank you, thank, thank you. you. Um, tell tell everybody about the wines you uh, brought and uh, you shipped in for the show. Sure. So first, I brought something from Brewer Clifton, um, 2008 Chardonnay from Sanford and Benedict Vineyard. So Sanford and Benedict, you know, Richard Sanford gave birth to what would become our appellation. And this vineyard was planted, established and planted in my birth year. I was born in 1970. Mm. And we only worked with it one year in 08. It's the only time we've done an S&D. Mm. And I thought, you know, the excitement for the show, respect for you, your roots in Santa Barbara, I wanted to do something very kind of grounded and historic um, as a thank you, you know, to you to do that. And um I know it was an interesting year. It was cold year. We got some frost, whatever. But but emotionally, it was really important to me to have this with you. So um, thanks for thanks for. Oh my it. god, yeah. Um, and I'll tell you, um, you know, I I said this. I had a uh, Oscar Henquet who works at Rudd Estate. He's the manager, actor, uh, and I did a clip. I was like, let's stop all the bullshit. California wines are age worthy whites and reds, <clears throat> but they're made right, and this is made right. Um, I had the pleasure of. Uh, being at a dinner in my honor <laughs> in Paso Robles and Greg and his wife Sonia who's also a winemaker makes incredible wines under her labels of uh, so the Feminist Party and I, I, I Casa Dumas and, and uh, Clementine, Clementine Carter Clementine Carter yeah. um, they I didn't know they were coming so, so surprised me and came up and it was amazing because it was like it was after um, some of us got vaccinated so we could go around and it was, you know, it was April and it was a little chilly, but they had heaters and we're up on this roof and, you know, and it's at a castle and Greg and Sean, you show up and they're looking like they came fucking out of LA. Like there's a red carpet, and they're walking <laughs> like a rock star couple. And I'm like, Oh my God. And I had, I, you know, I, 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 I knew of Greg, Greg's busy, but I knew, I know Steve a little better. We'll get into that. But, uh, Sonia, I'd connected with over zoom in the pandemic and I interviewed her and, and, and just lovely. So that was such a, and you brought a 2011, which, and this is in Paso Robles, and we had like Eric Booker there. We, you know, we had we had people from uh, we had my man Stanley from Top Winemaker from Immersi was there. So we're talking, you know, Paso's big red blends. Everybody, the wine of the night was was your your shard. So I, I went kung fu on that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna roll with that in the in the red world. Yeah, yeah no, it's an old white. That yeah, was a no brainer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and killed it. And uh, so to have. An even older wine. And to your point, the first time I visited Santa Barbara before I moved out there in, in 99, um, one of the places we visited was Sanford. <clears throat> um, and we went to Sanford and Benedict. And, you know, it, and that was a thing. We'll get into it. But, but so thank you so much is what I'm saying for being And it's, and it's great acidity. It's, 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 it's unctuous, but it's got acid and the color. It's, it's got 
a lot more life ahead of it for, for sure. sure. You know? Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, all right. So let's start at the beginning. Where did you grow up? So I was born in Connecticut. Uh, oh. Yeah, I was born in New Haven. Oh. I know you went to school in New Haven. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, born at Yale. And then uh, they never let me back. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. We're, we're birth you and that's like one way street. Yeah. The door's locked. Um, yeah. So born at Yale when my dad was finishing his PhD. And, um, and then we moved out to, um, to LA. And um, my dad got a job at the Rand Corporation. This is 1970. Mm-hmm. So kind of that, you know, war gaming kind of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so um, that was his thing. What was his PhD in? Um, it was like management and kind of a lot of it was. Yeah, so that, that's an interesting thing because, and I learned this. I didn't go to Yale, but I I I don't even act like I do. I just leave it hanging. I'm like, yeah, I went to school in New Haven <laughs> for sure. And I let people just think about it. They're like, MJ's kind of smart. Yeah, he must yeah, have went to Yale for sure. Um, but um, when you hang around like like the whole think tank world, yeah, that like was they, they, like in, in defense world, they just snatch smart people. Yeah. So obviously, that was and that smart. era, yeah. dude, yeah. like yeah. Yeah. Paisley sideburns, like <laughs> pre-computers, like punching cards. Yeah. Pre- I mean, that kind of like old school, like underground Rand Corporation stuff. Yeah. So anyway, so that's that's what brought us out to the West Coast. Okay. And then um, my folks divorced when I was four. Dad went back to Yale. He taught there. He went to some other spots, but basically at Yale for the better part of forty years. Mm. Um, yeah, and I was raised in in Pacific Palisades, which is this really now it's a really kind of you know beautiful bougie you know coastal town um and it was a great place to grow up it was a little more chill it was a little more kind of hippie funky like beach town back then right um that's like on the uh and out on one of the part of the end of the bay right kind of well kind of palace verdes is that because okay. convert yeah it's between santa monica and malibu just okay. south of malibu yeah, yeah okay yeah. right 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 okay and um yeah, it was great and then it was my older sister who's six years older and myself and my mom and mom worked, you know, she, you know, after the divorce, she worked during the day. As a sec- she got a job as a secretary at Rand Corporation. Um, and she always, she always wanted to be a DA. I mean, that was like mm. her dream. She, she was a, a speech major in college. And then she, you know, she had this fan- dream of being a DA. So she put herself, um, through law school at night at Southwestern, like downtown LA. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she, you know, and so we're very much like the quintessential latchkey seventies kids, you know, where, you know, we lived on a cool street, but like, you know, mom came home at like 10 at night. You know, she went to work at 5 in the morning, came out at 10 at night. And we're all good. I was like – my sister, you know, when she went to college, I was 11. So mm-hmm. I was like 11, just chilling by myself. <laughs> but it was like – we lived like raccoon. I mean it was like you're on the street and you kind of eat food where you find it, <laughs> right. play football. And like, <laughs> but like ev- everyone was everywhere. Like parents never knew where we were. It was so funny. Um, and that was it. But but that – most importantly during that era, I was, you know, around someone – I felt so loved and I, I found some – you know, I was raised by someone who was defined by her work. It was just driven by her work mm-hmm. and and she became a, a DA in um, in Ventura special, and her specialty was um, you know, sexual assault and, mm, and minors stuff, and yeah. predatory. I mean the, the darkest of the darkest. Mm-hmm. But she – you know, her life's drive was defending those victims and, and it was really – you know, seeing seeing the identity that could be forged by one's profession mm-hmm. was formidable. I mean, that's kind of why I am who I am. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think I think what's really important about that is finding who you are in your work, or you know, because because we are like like people. Like we people joke about, like when you meet someone at a bar, if you're saying like, "What do you do?" That's like the, that's like, "Oh, what do you do?" Like right. that is the question. Like, and so. I think you're really, like you said, very blessed, very fortunate to have seen someone who knew, or at least in her heart, this is what she was here to do. Yeah. And she did it. 
So that what that imparted to you later in life, I'm sure, was was invaluable. Super invaluable. It was amazing. And, and someone like chasing a dream and kind of, I'll say against all odds. That sounds that sounds cheesy, but but it, it wasn't straightforward. You know what I mean? And, and the law school thing, and 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 just the the grit and stamina and perseverance to do that. You know, raising young kids and. I, Figuring it out, it's real. I mean, you know? single mom, so much stigma probably in the seventies. Then you know, what I mean, like, I mean, um, and and like you said, the drive and the perseverance, and and we we talked. We said we said uh, there's a, there can be collateral damage, but like, but like, I'm I'm impressed. That's very impressive. Because I went to law school. That shit's not fun or easy. So you got to really want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and even though you know, so even though you know, being at work or at, at school, and and then and then working. You know, I always, I always, she always felt there for me at the same time, which is a cool thing too. You know, you don't, I think in life, you don't always have to be there for, you don't have to call mm-hmm. someone 50 times a day mm-hmm. to have their back. Yep. You know, and so I always, you know, so anyway, it was, it was, you know, we all have our ways of growing up and we all have different twists and turns, but no regrets. It's yeah. awesome. So, um, it's obviously she, she worked a ton. Um, uh, your were, were your parents ever into wine? Like when you go over your father, was he drinking wine out on the East Coast? Was was that a, a thing? Oh yeah, so that was so awesome. So my dad and stepmom, it was a very different situation. So in in L.A., it was like, you know, we kind of like I ate like bread and drank co- I mean, like it was mac and cheese and stir and frost cakes. I mean, I ate like potato. I mean, like I had like no food at all. I didn't know seasons existed. I mean, I was like this random L.A. kid. Yeah, yeah. And then um, my dad and, and Shelly, my stepmom, completely opposite. It was beautiful, Connecticut. Like super farm to table, like, you know, fit, getting bluefish and stuff. Like we'd catch and bring it in, and neighbors grew tomatoes. And and every night was like sitting down, and you know, I learned how to set a table. They always had wine on the table. You know, I always tasted it. I didn't really know what was going on, but mm-hmm. it, you know, all tasted good. I was like ten. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh yeah, yum, yeah. awesome. Um, so it was a very different life, and I and I love, especially as I've gotten older, I've loved that duality. You know, that New England East Coast. And that kind of culinary wine thing, really, with them, and then back at home in LA, it was just not that, you know. So yeah. it was like a a double life in some ways. It was cool. That is cool. Um, that's very cool. Um, so you're an LA kid, um, kind of bicoastal. Where did you attend college? So I went to school at UC Santa Barbara. Okay. And it was funny because I applied. I applied to like eleven schools, whatever, and um, and. And it was so funny because I, um, you know, I always thought, you know, I did partying in high school and I'd be like, oh, I can always go to Yale. You know, I dropped the thing because dad was still there. Yeah, it turns out I didn't get in. But um, <laughs> but, um, but it was funny. And like the first two schools I got into was UC Santa Barbara and Boulder, which are kind of similar in some ways, I think. Um, and and I'm like, oh, I'm two for two. Check me out. And then I went like two for 11. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then it was between the two. And, and literally, it was very pragmatic. It was like both would have been neat. I was a cyclist. You know, I was like, oh, I could like ride in the you know mountains. And that's cool. Um, and then it was just tuition. It was like, oh, gosh. Like, you see, you know, I'm a California, California kid. Tuition, so, yeah. you know, why spend that much more? It was way less than it is these days. Nonetheless, it was just – it made sense. And so, um, yeah, UC Santa Barbara. Yeah, that was my – I think. And always French. Like I had a great teacher in high school, Mr. Johnson. Yeah. LA Unified, you know, public school. Incredible. He's cool. I mean, and and so he inspired me to teach and French and everything else. And so I knew I'd be a French major. I knew I wanted to teach French. So you actually majored in French? From out of the gates, dude. Wow. Like it wasn't like a last minute thing. Like I was 12 and like, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Initially anyway. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah. I have a – you know, how I ended up in Santa Barbara was I have, I have a buddy – who went to UC Santa Barbara. You were probably there. You guys had to be there at the same time. Yeah, uh, it was 87 to 91. Yeah. Um, 91. 
Cliff Corn. He works at Acker. And Cliff, oh, worked, yeah, yeah, Cliff, Cliff and I worked at, uh, <laughs> he's the one who got me the job at the YMB Showville. <laughs> um, yeah, I was like, you guys had it. Of course. And I, but I, and, and, and so Cliff is from New York. And this, and this, I love this because you, like, it's so cool. Like, you, you wanted to get to Yale, but like, Cliff, like, had went around to all these schools with his dad and they rolled up at UCSB. And if you guys, uh, IV, it's like, there's, there's these bluffs and, it's crazy. It's just crazy. <laughs> and like, and like, he's there with his dad, and he's like, and the, and the girls, and Calvary. He's like, he's like, if you don't go here, son, you're stupid. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. This is ridiculous. Yeah, and and on top of the beauty of it, like you said, um, uh, there's uh, they've got professors who win all these all those awards. Like it's like a oh, like it's a very like. Like we we know our Ivy League schools here on the East Coast, and and there's there are the, the Ivies are the Ivies, but like the GC UC schools just attract just as much academic talent. Oh, for sure, mm-hmm. those do. I love the city college route. I mean, if if I were doing it all over oh, again, yeah. I mean, those what you can get for free or close to free these days, yeah. that kind of education, people that really want to teach and be there, yeah. phenomenal. And the fact that sometimes overlooked is is really yeah. But even my dad, he was like. You know, a lot of professors that are kind of easing into retirement, you know, a lot are like posting up in places like San Diego, Santa Barbara. Yeah, whatever, so they, they look like, out west. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I worked at Yale and Princeton and I want some better weather. They're yeah, not going to be no, you can't come to our university. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have you. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you you said you cycled. So um, – and also like there's – like when I moved out to California, all the crazy club sports, was there a cycling team at UCSB or just – you would just ride well, on your own? Yeah, I was on the triathlon team. We kind of started okay. one at the beginning. Yeah, right. I did triathlons in high school and then um, I've always loved – I'm kind of a solo person in a lot of ways I've realized about myself. Um, so running, cycling, you know, and uh, and so – and Santa Barbara's great for it. So I was kind of on this like pseudo triathlon team at the beginning and then – and then just doing stuff on my own. Nothing formal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. nothing formal. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. So um, – I don't want to assume, but you seem like somebody who would be on the four-year plan, not like the six-year plan, like me and some of my friends. Um, so what was your first uh, – you majored in – you were going to be a French professor, majored in French. Was your first job right teaching at UCSB or did you work somewhere else? No. So here's the deal. So in my junior year, I moved to France. So I did a year abroad in, in the French Alps in Grenoble and it was amazing. I, at first, I worked in Belgium for a summer at a department store. It was great. Uh, and then, and then the year in France was awesome. And then senior year, fine. And then my original plan was to teach high school French. Okay. Um, and so I got into the credential program at UCSB. Um, I was a bit young, so I graduated. I was barely 21. And then, um, and I got into that and it wasn't, it wasn't feeling right. Like the, unfortunately, French is being phased out of a lot of schools because there's just not a need. Well, I mean, now it's, I mean, I mean, I tell you, I, I, I studied French in high school and to college and I don't speak any, uh, except, and peu, je ne sais pas, uh, Pliny Montrachet. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I, there's a part of me is like, cause when I moved to California, I was like, you should have, you should study Spanish because Spanish is well. And now, so you know, you have Spanish and you have like Chinese and Japanese, like Asian language became, have become more important. Korean. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So there just, there weren't, there were the, I didn't see many opportunities kind of down the road. And then also, you know, part of the the early couple of weeks of that credential program, there was a lot of discourse around you know, being a role model and almost like replacing, you know, being there to kind of fill a void of maybe things lacking in people's families' lives and whatever. And I was like, I'm 21. Like, I wasn't quite ready for that, mm-hmm. you know, and I recognized that in myself. And so 
I, I remember meeting with another professor in the department, um, this woman who's really sweet, Catherine, and she said, well, why don't you get a master's with us and you'll have an office and teach here and you make a thousand bucks a month. And I was like, wow, okay. And so I got right into the master's program in French Lit and the teaching part was the best. I loved it so much. I gave everything I had to it because in foreign language in a university, like you're the only teacher. You're not, you're not a TA. No, no offense to a TA, but like there's frequently when you're a grad student, there's like a professor. No, no, yeah, no, seminar I, yeah. And you have a breakout. Right, thing. right. For, in foreign language, you're it. Like I was a four unit course at UCSB and I was a 21 year old living in a frat house. You know, and, and, but, but so I gave all I could to teaching and then the, the research side. I was on academic probation, right? Because I was living in the fraternity house. I'm drinking malt liquor. I mean, <laughs> I was, I was in Isla Vista at 21. I mean, I wasn't a grad student. I mean, that was never part of the plan. Right. Um, and so I kind of muscled my way through for a year. And then I got into the, you know, the, the tasting room gig. And then obviously off I went. Yeah. So I was going to ask about that. So, um, that's so funny. For you guys, uh, Ivy drinking malt liquor because it's a secret. <laughs> Listening to reggae, like yeah. watching people play foosball, like it was, it was good. So early nineties shit. I right? peaked. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, nineteen ninety one ish. You got so you started in the taste room at Santa Barbara Wine, is that yeah? It? And that was down in Montecito. Where no, was, in uh, the Funk Zone. In, in the, yeah, so right, okay. right downtown in Santa Barbara. Okay. So. It was literally, I was in the fraternity house and like watching people play. I wasn't even playing foosball. It was like spectator foosball. Right. And, um, and then there was an ad in the like independent yep. news press. And it was like this big, you know, Santa Barbara winery, no experience necessary, willingness to learn, 550 an hour. And I was like, what? Work at a winery? Five bucks an hour? Like crackers, give tours, drink wine. I'm like, That'd be so cool. <laughs> and I'm like, I speak French. Like, yeah, you know, like, I got game, you know, yeah. easy. So like, I rolled down there, like probably a little bit hot. Like I got, the, I got this in the bag. And um, it was really funny. Layla, the manager at the time, um, she asked me a question about Chardonnay. I'll never forget this. And, you know, I lived, I lived like, you know, in France, you know, so I knew about Beaujolais. I knew yeah. about, you know, I knew some regions of France, Bordeaux, whatever. But I didn't know in the U.S. that it was like things were named after the grape. And it was about Chardonnay and I fumbled, you know. And um, and there was another woman who applied uh, who knew that, whatever. So she out, you know, she outdid me. And so she got the gig and I was so bummed because when I walked in the winery, the smell, the barrels, you know, Pierre Lafond, you know, it was like, it was like black tie. It was like gourmet food at the, for the time, crackers yeah. and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this, I have to be here. And I'm really driven. And so when I want something almost like to a fault, I'm pretty, I lock in. And, and so I followed up letters, like flowers knocking on the door. I mean, I was, the, I was that guy. Um, and she called me a few weeks later and someone else fortunately had given notice. I was their second candidate. And I was like, good enough for me mm. to get in the door. Mm -hmm. um, and then one day behind that bar, I knew this would be my life. Yeah. It was immediate. Yeah. Un unwavering immediate. Everything about the craft was like, it was it for me. Uh, so I, there's, you know, I always think this is funny because, um, every 10, 15, 20 years, uh, the wine spectator will come out with like the hottest new wine region. Um, talk a little about Santa Barbara winery, uh, the pioneering of, uh, like we know we're going to get to, uh, we talk about Richard Sanford, but like, let's talk about like Santa Barbara winery, Pierre Lafond, um, Kind of how what they did for how they helped start uh, jumpstart things in Santa Barbara. Yeah, for sure. So Pierre Lafont, who sadly just passed away, um, you know, in 1962, he's the oldest commercial post-prohibition winery in the county. Um, very discreet, super low key, and that the full winery was downtown in Santa Barbara um, when it was funky at random and it was warehousey, you know, um, and started off making fruit wines, and then um, 
you know, planted the, La- the Santa Barbara Winery Vineyard in 72. It was right after San Fernando, right down the street. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Bruce McGuire, who's still there, who trained me, he started in 81. Um, but that was it. I mean, it was, Bruce it started off. Bruce flashback. Yeah, wow. dude, 41 years he's been there. That's a long pull. Yeah. It's really admirable. It's yeah. so low key, gentle, steady. Humble as can be. It's really a beautiful man. He, and that's a whole nother. Him taking me on was a, just a gift of a lifetime. Um, but, you know, the, it was, we're talking about like fruit wines. It was like a lollaberry wine. And like people forget these days, you know, how fast this trajectory has been. Wine's been around for a bazillion years, yep. right? Yep. And I'm sure you've had people on the podcast, you know, where it's like Pepe or Ventos. People where it's like, oh, 1497. Yeah. Like crazy old, <laughs> right. real right. stuff. Like ridiculous. So, I mean, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and in our area, you know, it's 50 plus years. It's like zero time. It's like the opposite of dog years. Right. You know what I mean? It's like zero time. And we're going from like, oh, I know someone who makes hot tubs. Like I can ferment in that and I'll make some <laughs> a lollaberry wine, you know, to now it's a very different landscape. And I'm, I'm prideful. You know, it's been really beautiful to be kind of second generation. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Because there was like Sanford and Obon Clima, Coupe, Ojai, Santa Barbara. I mean, Brander, yep. Yep. you know, the, the real pioneers, yep. you know, and then, and then I kind of, I'm like leg two or yep. three even yep. of the relay. Yeah. Um, and so it's been neat to kind of, they set the template and they proved it all. And then it's just been kind of refinement, doing the best I can by them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now really being mindful of, you know, setting up the next, you know, for success, yep. you know, for all of us, yep. it's really, yep. it's been a beautiful time. Yeah. Yeah. So you start in a taste room, Bruce McGuire takes you under his wing. Uh, what was like your next job? Like were you Taste room and like, what was your next gig? Cellar rat? Yeah. So I, you know, I worked, it was like summers. I didn't teach on Thursdays. So it was like weekend summers. Yeah, okay. kind of, um, I love the educational piece. Again, people come to the bar. And I also immediately was aware of the fear and permission that people bring to wine and the intimidation. Mm. You know, think about in wine, how frequently the word should is employed. When should I drink this? What should I drink it at? What temperature should I, mm. what should I eat with it? Right. Mm. And so mm. I was like, wow, like it's people, wine freaks people out. And as soon as I learn more about it, I can neutralize some of that insecurity. I can kind of like embolden themselves. I can kind of bolster up their confidence. So I love that. And so, you know, that was it. And then during the harvest time, you know, they let me like scrub a tank, okay. you know, like foot stomp something. Um, and so that was like 91. That was pretty early on. Yep. And then getting into the end of 92, I knew that I was not happy at in grad school and I shouldn't have been there. I was on probation. I mean, I was like on the brink of being kicked out anyway. And, um, and then I knew Bruce's assistant was leaving and I, you know, I asked to have like lunch with him, whatever. We sat in a little patio there. And, um, and I said, you know how much I know or how much I don't know. Um, but you, you know, how I work, you know, how committed I am to this, please, if you'd consider giving me a shot and I'll never forget. He's like, production isn't pretty. And I was like, (laughs) and, uh, and it's like gentle dry tone. And, um, and he gave me a shot. I, I didn't know how to siphon water out of a bucket. I didn't know how to use a crescent wrench. I mean, I didn't. And he, like my first day at work, I was like filtering Riesling. I mean, he just, he taught me how to hook up a hose. I mean, everything, like 99% of everything I do now is a result of and an outcome of his kindness and his instruction, really. You know, it was, it was a beautiful situation. And back then, too... Other people would hang out. You know, there weren't that many wineries. Like, yeah. What, 15 wineries back yeah. then? It wasn't that many. And so Chris Whitcraft was around all the time because he made wine right down the street. Mm-hmm. And he was best friends with Burt Williams from William Salyam. So I'm 21, 22, 23. Wine cask is blowing up. Like Burt Williams and Chris are hanging out. Like it was an amazing time to be that sponge and just taking in all this and the, the open channels of communication from those people was is invaluable. 
I mean, it's it was it for me. That was my schooling, 100. Yeah, percent Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, and I, that's why I love this shit, right? Like, like you could know people, but like to get your story, like you know, like I Chris Whitcraft when I Cliff. When we were at Acker, he brought the, he brought we brought some of the first wines from Santa Barbara. We were the first people to bring Chris Whitcraft wines into Chris Whitcraft was this amazing. Well, he made he's an amazing winemaker, but his Burgundian shit is was Burgundian. Yeah, you know, and and Burt Williams, but Williams' son was Garagis. You know, is that bigger? And yeah. but they were buddies, and they would. There's it, that there is that synergy of of when when I think there's a kinship of winemakers, particularly when you're still small. You know what I mean? Like it's just like. What are you doing? What's working for you? 100%. Taste this. What What do you think? It's not. It's not. It's not as competitive as I as other things can be. Yeah. Um. Which is nice. And then, oh, what you say? I love. Um. It'll come back to me. But but like, just oh, that's your part of the second wave. That's pretty amazing because that was the thing when I moved to Santa Barbara. It was, it was just starting to come up. But there have been people for years. Um. And the thing of it is, too, if I can just jump in. One yeah. More please. Time, like with, you know, I mentioned wine cask. I mean, our logo is taken from the ceiling of the restaurant of wine cask. I mean, the wine cask ah, is like Doug Marjoram. Shout yeah, out to Doug. For sure, Doug. Marjoram wines. It, yeah, now. it was incredible. You know, and that that restaurant and that retail store was, and the wine bistro too. But like wine cask was in just an incubator. No, it was an incubator because yeah, they were it was, downtown. It was so it was it was, zero, it was, it was like totally. the restaurant, yeah. and you know, David Giacchini was chef, and yeah. and their wine futures program. Was that was my school? Oh man, the Santa Barbara wine futures that was my school. That was bomb. Yeah, dude. And and I so I'm 23, 20. That's like 93, 4, 5, like yeah. right before Brookhampton. And I remember like I'd read about these people in magazines, and I'd meet them. And they were like yeah. friends, yeah. right? You know, Clendenin and Bert, whatever. And then I remember like the catalog would come out, and I swear to God, I would like. I would know when the catalog was dropping for like the futures program. I would sleep on this, almost like sleep on the sidewalk, like I'm waiting for police tickets and, like, <laughs> outside like the warehouse record store. Yeah. And then like they'd open the box and I would like bike home or drive home and I, I would like memorize it because it was like, oh, it was all tally, Ojai, ABC, Coupe, Sanford. Oh and it was like, oh, they were doing this, Half New Oak, this barrel maker, picking this, stainless steel, blocking mallow, whatever, stem inclusion. And I'd like read it, read it, read it. And then I, I just – I wanted to learn so bad that it wasn't even memorizing. It was just like digesting. Yeah. And then you go to the tasting and they're all pouring and you, you're, you're like you, – you know what they did and then you taste through it. And it was like, oh. And that was it. That was my whole training was mm. that. And it was mm. real and it was current and it was like the people doing it were there and they always had my back. Bruno, I mean they're Bruno. big brothers. No, I mean they <laughs> I just, love Bruno, yeah. they've always had my back. Yeah. You know, and it's really it's such a beautiful and again, the community is great now there. And and, and when anything gets bigger, there, it, things just change. Things change. And when things are tiny, you picture like an immigrant yep. village or something. When there's right. four people, right. you have you know, you have each other's back in yeah. different ways, I yeah. think. And it was it was that that feeling back then. And, and that, that, that I appreciate yeah, that, that, I that maverickness um, you know, uh, of uh, we're doing something almost disruptive. Very much so. that 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 bonds you together. Um, I totally get that. So, all right. So, you, like, ninety one, you're working in the taste room. Ninety six, you get this crazy idea to start making your own wine. Well, how did that happen? Yeah. So that was it. So it was funny. I met Steve Clifton. I was. I was the winemaker for about a year and a half at a place called Sunstone. So I was there. I Clif- remember Sunstone. Clifton was at Rancho Sisquoc and then he was um, – and then he went over to Beckman. When these Beckman are all kind of – actually, yeah. these are names when like – that are all Rancho Sisquoc. These are all uh, like yeah, – yeah, A lot of people you. in New York, you, you're you, not, these are all Santa Barbara. Like, like if you're not in the area, you're not going to know about these. <laughs> and um, 
And it was funny. So, you know, like I was saying, everyone was so nice. Rick Longoria. I mean, all these people were so nice. Oh but it was it was very much a different generation, right? So, you know, I'm – it was like, you know, people that were raised in like the 50s and 60s, right? So it was very much like – you know, I don't want to say jeans, flannel shirt, hippie, whatever, but it was a little bit more of that, right? Yeah, yeah. And and everyone sure. was so nice. I just I was a bit younger, you know, and yep. I didn't quite. And then and then I met Steve, and Steve, you know, he's a, a few ticks older than I am, but it was very much like a product of the '80s, right? I mean, it was him more than me, as far as like yeah, that's clubs, actually, eyeliner, like, 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 like he's rocked more eyeliner than I have, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. I, I, I used to see Steve more often than I ever, you know, I'm like, oh, that's Greg Brewer, but Steve. Would come into the bistro. Oh yeah, like he was. He like said, he was. He was like the rock star kind of wine. Oh my god, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And he taught me so much. We had such a good time together. And we first met, and we became fast friends. And you know, and we started like hanging out together, and eating, and drinking together, and just dreaming. And and it was like we had this idea of, um, you know, we were drawn to this stretch of land in Santa Barbara that was proven. But not completely like tapped into, and that now is Santa Rita Hills, right? So there was Sanford. I was trained there at Santa Barbara right. Winery, Babcock, Sweeney, Heber, a couple. But we're about three hundred acres, dude. It was zero. Yeah. And Santa Maria had already kind of been blown up. You know, yeah. Bienvenido, Cambria, yep. different things. Yep. And so you know, and we just we felt good there, and we thought, oh, that's just mm. nothing's new. It's almost like a mashup of like the William Salyam concept. With this, with this, but applied to this little stretch called now called Santa Rita Hills, and. Um, and it was really funny. I forgot about this. I mentioned it to Sonia the other night. I was kind of dreaming of doing my own little project and I was going to do Pinot, I think because of Bert and stuff. And I was going to all whole cluster. And, mm-hmm. and Steve was going to do a Chardonnay label. And it was like a Reese's peanut butter cup. Dude. It was so funny. And then we're like, <laughs> well, let, let's do them both and do it together. <laughs> and, um, and so that was it. And we, we saved up $12,000, which took us a while, man. And, you know, I was making seven bucks an hour. I mean, yeah, I Santa mean, Barbara's not cheap to live No, in. I so, live there. It's not cheap. I was lucky, but that's what I was, I want to go back. When Bruce McGuire said production's not pretty, and like you're doing, you're making seven bucks an hour, right? So <clears throat> when people, I love what the like a lot of what has happened over the few years with the Psalm films, but people need to understand you're seeing the completely sexy side, completely edited to be completely sexy, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like for sure, yeah. But like, <laughs> um. There's a lot of other stuff. There's a lot of stuff. <laughs> and then also like like with the Psalms, like everybody wanted to be a Psalm. I'm like, okay, you saw the top people in the world. Like there's only those those are like those are like being in the NBA, right? And even winemaker jobs, like wine director, like Bruce McGuire. People get at places and they stay there 30, 40 years. I was just with Ridge. Those people the uh, John's been there twenty five, the vineyard manager's been there forty freaking years. So you better love this. Yeah. You better love this. Cause it's 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 <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I mean, we're having fun, and it is sick, but we but we love this for sure. You know what I mean? Everything about it, yeah. ultimately. So yeah. you coming in, doing this podcast, you know, arranging this, coordinating, yep. training yep. from yep. home, like it's a lot. Yeah, and and if you love it, you know, it's it's an amazing thing. I have a big smile on my face. Yeah, yeah, I'm here yeah, with you for sure. So you guys get together like this, you know? So yeah, we start. <laughs> We used Santa Barbara Winery. It was like part of – kind of Pierre wasn't really stoked about it, but but he allowed us to do, you know, like a few tons of fruit there. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, yeah. And at the beginning, we worked with some Santa Maria sites because they're – you know, again, the, the things were being planted in Santa Rita Hills, but they weren't really available yet. And um, so I had two Chardonnays, two Pinots. But but the, the thing about Brooklyn that's really important to emphasize is that it's about discipline and repetition mm. and neutrality. So – it was it was always raising these vineyards with no bias, no prejudice, need blind, 
everything's done the same year over year. It hasn't changed for 27 years. And, and I'm prideful of that. The package hasn't changed. Nothing's changed. And, um, and that's, you know, that's never been different. And so it was 240 cases. And we, you know, we spent our 12 grand on fruit and some used fermenters from Fast Parker, some used barrels from Parker. It was great. Um, and that family's always been really nice to us too. And, and then we sold, you know, and then there was the Wine Futures program. And it was pivotal for us because we, we used all of our money on the front end. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have any money for packaging or anything. And so that following spring, it was like, gosh, if we can get in the Wine Futures program, we'll be in that catalog that I've like coveted. Yeah. That I have like every vent, every like, copy of. If we can make it in that, our logo is going to be in that with like Obon Clima and Coupe and whatever. And if we can sell some wine pre-release at a discount, That'll pay for our packaging. And then, like, we'll sell, we'll bottle in July. We'll sell it out in August if we can. And, you know, because we've never had a loan. We've never had anything. And, um, and so that's what we did. And so we got in the futures program. It gave us mad exposure because the mailing list for wine cask was huge. And the association with the other wineries was huge. And, you know, we sold like 10 cases of each, which gave us enough money for the glass and wax and corks, whatever, bottled by hand. And then we were self-distributed in California for the first four or five years because it, we saved the margin of a distributor. So deliveries up and down the coast. You know, it's, we'd like write, you know, reach out to the famous restaurants, Aqua Boulevard, Spago, you know, Patina, and write a letter, send a fax, whatever we did back then. And then, um, you know, set up appointments. I had the wine in the car. You know, if people wanted it, it'd be like, you know, when can you deliver? And I was like, what? Well, how about right now? <laughs> and, uh, and that was it. And, you know, some of those relationships I still have. I saw people last night and that's how, you know, it's, and it was beautiful. It was like that, you know, I was 26 years old. It was a fantasy. It was amazing. That is amazing. Your wine's amazing. I mean, like, you know, as I think a lot of Chardonnays, white burgundies, um, they get older. And for me, there's a point where it's just too honeyed, too toffied. This still has, you can still taste the citrus. Yeah. It's still racy. Salty. A salty, salinity. I mean, you get, you're getting, you're getting a little nuttiness, but not like, like, you know, I've had, you know, you've probably these white burgundies, like these pre-mocks where, where, where the, the wines are like, they're like way darker than this and mm-hmm. they're just nutty. But this is, you, as this is fun part, you can't get this bottle because, but you guys need to get on a Brewer Clifton list for but, sure. You know, yeah. The Santa Rita Hills, I mean, it's the same. Yeah, yeah, Santa exactly. Rita Hills does it, man. It's, you know, when I'm meeting with, with staff and, and sales teams, you know, lemon, lime, salt. I always go there. It's lemon, like a margarita, salt, yes. a salty thing, mm. the, the sea air. You know, we're right on the ocean. It's windy. It's foggy. It's contemplative. And I think it informs these wines to be that condiment, you know, lemon, lime, salt. And I think, you know, everyone's got their trip and their priorities at work. But I, I think the neutrality of vessel, the barrels are really, really old. Okay. So I this is this like... completely neutral. Wow. Um, and I think that that can assist because there's a – kind of an emptiness to the wine going in. There's a, a vulnerability to the wine on the front end um, because of the neutrality that I think, for us anyway, is assisting some of that freshness now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and at Santa Rita, you know. And in this case, an old vineyard too. So that's helpful. You know what? I think this is a good time because we've got a lot more to talk about. We're going to take a quick break, everybody, and we'll be right back. Okay, we're back with Greg Brewer. <laughs> We're totally talking about Santa Rita Hills Um, and something you mentioned earlier. I remember when I moved out there um, and I don't know how much, how well, you know, I was thinking, but Brian Babcock, the man fucking so underrated as a winemaker. I can't believe how under the radar he still is. No, that's so funny. He's one of my best friends and he, um, he's just, he's ahead of his time. He's so smart (laughs) and he thinks about the weirdest stuff. And it's like, Brian does something 
And then it's like, whoa, okay. And 20 years later, you're like, that was so badass. And it's like, <laughs> I told him that the other day. I'm like, you're just, you're like a few ticks ahead of the rest of the world. And I said, and his farming practice now, like a lot of his vineyard, he's had to kind of deal with, he has some disease pressure mm-hmm. and different things. Um, but, you know, when he took over, we planted the Mount Carmel vineyard with the nuns. Like that was gnarly, like, like really high end Sauvignon Blanc and like the early 90s. I mean, everything about Brian. Um, and he's always pushing and he loves the craft and he loves the craftsmanship. And, and being with him is like, there's like this childlike curiosity and exuberance about him. Yeah. That's just, it's the best. He's hysterical. He's such a funny guy. Yeah. yeah. And that's, this was his, he started, he made like a bathtub wine up at Davis in like 82. So whatever that math is, it's you know, 40 it's his, years. yeah, it's his, his, his 40th finish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shit. Yeah, and you know, talk about instrumental. Like on Highway 246 back then, it yep. was Babcock. Yep. And that was it. Yeah. <laughs> that was it. You Babcock know? and Mona, his folks. Vander and Amber, you're going to have to be there for his base. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, Brian's amazing. Yeah, no. I, I, and that, I remember, and just because these Santa Barbara stories, but like I came out in 99 and, you know, I was hanging with like, you know, uh, and that's the thing, like you said, like, so I worked at the Wine B show, but like, winemakers would come around. Fred would come in all the time. Keith Nichols would come in all the time. Steve would come in all the time. Like people would come in all the time and bring bottles and like, and then also, you know, Santa Barbara, like you said, it's not cheap. So there's a fair, there's a fair amount of wealthy people who live there, (laughs) but they were all super generous, you know, and they, and and they would come in and we would do these just random, it'd be a Tuesday night. Like, all right, we're going to do like, come on down. Who's here? So-and-so's here. People would come in and do taste. We just grab bottles. So like people would bring like, Sean Thackeray, rest in peace. His wines were amazing. Um, you know, I was in people like people, the Ciroc's, which I know we're going to get to post fashion, but, <laughs> but like you, we, people were bringing heavies like Ojai and, and, and like I said, and like I said, uh, Thackeray and just, uh, Rideau, her first vintage, mm-hmm. which was, what's the Longor? Who made it? Did Richard Longor? Yeah. Song? Yeah. Uh, made Rick that made for, Yeah. I was just with Iris a couple of days ago. Yeah. yeah. With like the documentary, the mm-hmm. documentary and her yeah. book just came out. Yeah, yeah. She's cool. Yeah. We're, we're trying, I'm trying to. She is I'm, so cool. I never spent time with her. Yeah. She she spoke at Sonia's Tasting Room a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, oh, and then so and then we went if... to her this release of a documentary on her. Yeah. She is incredible. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She's 86. Yeah, and she is so. Not that that's that doesn't mean you're you're not cool, but she is. Her life and yeah. her spirit and her like. Yeah. She's just being around her. Yeah. It's just it's. This so nourishing and energizing. She's yeah. a beautiful, beautiful yeah. woman. Yeah. yeah, we would do these blind tastings and. I swear, the 1996 Rideau and 1996 Babcock Black Label Syrah, which was probably 35 bucks, was if. curb stomping. Yeah, if you're like yeah. Third, yeah. curb stomping wines two and three times. Like they would always finish in the top five. Bab, and they would be like top three. Those two would always. Yeah. So I, you know, um, can't wait to unpack it. So, so you guys are out there. You're, you're, you know, there's pioneers out there, but then you come out there. Now, did I understand that you guys have you did you plant vineyards out there or are you always sourcing fruit out there? How how Well, yeah, we had no money, man. So yeah. so we started off um sourcing fruit and then people were planting, starting to plant. Like okay. a lot of planting happened in San, in San, what would be Santa Rita yeah. in the mid 90s, right? Yeah. So like um you know, Ashley's went in from Fast Parker, Foley happened, Melville happened, Ganey expanded, Santa Barbara Winery expanded. I mean, a lot of things went mm-hmm. down. Um, and so we got in bed with a lot of growers. So we, yeah. we secured an acre of Pinot Clopepe, a half acre of Pinot at Melville. And that's what gave birth to Melville. Ron was going to be a grower. 
we secured half an acre of Pinot there, and then and then we hit it off, and then off we went. Um, but it was it was it was that kind of formative germinating time. But we we couldn't afford anything. We could afford to buy fruit. Right. We couldn't afford to do it. Right. Yeah, yeah. And um, and that's how all that started. And 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 the growth was was you know slow, systematic. It was fine. Um, and then and then we got some you know kind of once in a lifetime media attention, you know, oh 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 one. And then and then things and and that coincided with getting the appellation. That coincided with the economy blowing up. And it was kind of that perfect storm. You know, yeah. Costa Brown, uh, I mean certain people and you know, we all went our own ways, but like it it was again, I I, I wish I'd been more aware of how rare that was. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, oh yeah, we figured it out. Yeah. We figured out the wine business. Yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah. And um <laughs> It, and it just it happened so fast, and it was kind of like it was just you know, things took off. It was fun. Oh, this is now. I mean, when you're dealing with like a Greg Brewer, you know, like you're gonna be drinking some great wines. We're just we're doing the little rinsey rinse now, so we can get into this Pinot. Wow. Um. Yeah, I, I think when we were in an elevator coming, up, I was like, you know, like I'm a guy who like when you're in it, you don't realize it sometimes, you know. Um. Ooh. And, I, you know, I, I would like – looking back, I'd love to think that I – we did. We, you know, we appreciated it at all, but it was all happening so fast. Mm-hmm. I mean it was – picture – you know, I'm in – like I'm 30, 31. There's – you know, Melville is expanding and blowing up. Like Brewer Clifton is down the street. I'm carrying these two jobs, which I love them both. I gave all of my – all I could to both. You know, Melville first, you know, because Brewer Clifton was smaller and, you know um, – and, you know, my kids were super, super young. I mean, it was like a lot was happening. <laughs> and it was like holding on. You know, how fast could we pack boxes? How fast could we swipe credit cards? I mean, it was really just doing the best we could. We had no team. We had no staff. I mean, it was kind of like just just going for it. But, you know, when, <laughs> um, you know, when Parker, you know, Parker wrote us up very, very favorably at the end of 01. Um, and, and that's when, you know, at, at that time, you know, we weren't taking anything from the business. Like we, the first thing we did was cell phones. You know, Steve got a blue one. So you've got a red one. I got a blue one. That was like our first splash out Baruch Clifton moment. Um, but, you know, we're still kind of figuring it out. And then and then at the end of 01, his like end of year issue in The Advocate, when when Bob would reflect on his year and mm-hmm. the hedonist kind of thing. It was like, you know, his top restaurants, his top crazy dinners. And he, he wrote the single greatest revelation of all of his tastings of 2000 were the wines of Baruch Clifton. Mm. And I was like – and then – you know, I, one day I woke up and it was like my I had like forty voicemails because this my cell phone was our business line. And I was like, "What's happening?" And and like, I, and then my mailbox filled up, and I was like, "What's going on?" I was like, "Can I join your mailing list? Can I join your mailing list?" I was like, "What's happening?" Because I didn't know what had happened. Right. <clears throat> and so I found like a legal pad, and I'm like scribbling down names so I could delete messages so I could take more. And it was like this feverish, crazy thing. And it was that era of mailing lists, you know, it, yep. when you know, sea smoke was happening, we were happening, cost about whatever. And um. And then that was, you know, that was that, and that kind of that time of, you know, uh, of that, and it was, um, and then that gave birth, you know, with, and then in '05, you know, we started a farming team, and then we started planting vineyards. But, you know, in a lot of ways, we had no business doing that stuff. That's that's not for the faint of heart or people that don't have money. You know, vineyard stuff is a different deal. Yeah, it's one thing. Like you and I could come up with ten, twenty grand. We know tons of people. Right. right. We have sales channels. Yeah. You know, we could start a fun little project and, right. and it would be fine. Vineyards are vineyards. I mean, that's like a different notch. And, and we had no business doing that, to be honest. I mean, we 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 did it, but like by the you know hair of our chinny chin chin, it was it was you know yeah. It's I tough. mean, land in California. I'm gonna buy land in California and put grapes on it. That takes money. 
Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, we now that we're on this Machado Pino, yeah. it's a great segue. So we didn't have the money for land, right? So we, we, we assumed the responsibility of a vineyard called Mount Carmel mm-hmm. that Brian originally planted with an order of Carmelite nuns. This awesome vineyard that was like it overlooked Sanford and Benedict. It was always like, oh, my gosh, if we could ever even access that fruit, that would be amazing. And so we did that and we started with a farming team of two people, um, both of which I, I still work with both. They're amazing. We're brothers. And um, – and, um, but then, you know, and then we, we planted a vineyard called 3D and then in 2008 we planted Machado. So with our vineyards, we lease the land. So there are a lot of, you know, ev- everyone knows this. I've only worked on Highway 246 my whole life. I've wow. never, I've never touched a grape from outside of Santa Barbara in 32 years. Wow. And so, you know, every, we all know everybody. It's fine. People trust us. And the Machado family is beautiful. They came to the area from Portugal in 1917. They have 1200 acres. And I said, hey, would you, off, would you be open to leasing 15 acres of land? And they're like, yeah, of course. Um, and so, you know, we found a little nook and, and, and planted it. So we, we, we own the vineyard. We planted the vineyard. That's fine. On their land. And mm-hmm. I love that responsibility of someone else's family legacy mm-hmm. because this is – it's a big responsibility. Like my name's not that important, but I'm carrying someone else's family's legacy with the Machado. Mm-hmm. And, this, and this wine, I think, demonstrates some of that – mutual trust and respect you know that the wine's calming the wine is you know it has that calming spirit i think because the machado family and us are really really good and i love celebrating them i love telling their story um and you know here's the result to the wine yeah. yeah i i i really appreciate and love your reverence um and it just what you just said about the like machado i i see the similar thing um you see that more up north because there's more historic vineyards because, you know, in the Napa snow, but you see these, the Teldesecchis and the Pagani ranches and like, you know, the, the Jackass, like the, the, like the Monterosos, like to, to, to be like your steward of the fruit from there, right? Like, and your ability to make your expression of that fruit, but also the honor, like to, to even be given the fruit to, to yeah. craft is such a huge deal. I didn't know the history of the Machado. You know what I mean? So like I'm finding this like it's very bright. It's very red. Yeah. And that's and that's our aesthetic is that, right? So in the case of Pinot Noir, like everything we do is neutral. It's very important to us. And so there are barrels that held this 2020 Machado that held our 96 Pinot. We have barrels that we've never cycled out, right? We're completely neutral. And so – that's a whole nother – it's kind of a different part of this conversation. But but the, the – That's uh, under my – I have wine philosophy. We'll get oh, to that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So with Pinot Noir, with Pinot Noir, we're a whole cluster house. Yeah? Okay. So this is not destemmed at all. It's very primitive. It's very – Yeah. It's very – Savage. Elementary. Yeah. yeah but yeah. I think when you – for us, stem participation has always been a priority. And I think, you know, when you do that, we're farming for stem. You know, the, the clones we use, where we planted, how we farm, everything. It's the devil's in the details. But – but we, you know, we're a whole cluster place, and I think when you ferment whole cluster, the the wine there's a there's a, a brightness to them, there's a lift to them, and there's something very primitive about that. It's polished. It's not like it's not like a, no, mean, no no no. I don't mean primitive enough. No, I know what you mean. Like, messed up. Right. Like, no, not like in some. I'm making natty wine. Kind <laughs> yeah. of like. No, I mean it's it's it, it's a polished thing, but it's it's raw, right? It, right. It's, it's I I get like like you know the whole cluster, right? That's that's the thing. Uh, Kermit Lynch with his big fight, like the boat, you know, like, like it just adds so much character to the wine. And then also, I, I know, um, had friend, uh, 
was out in Paso Robles and he's like, man, I had like eight year old barrels. I had to go uh, full cluster. I needed to get some 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 structure and complexity. Yeah, yeah. In the I've line. got tannin yeah, somewhere. Yeah, got to get tannin <laughs> somewhere. I, I like it's like nose to tail cooking. Yeah, it's like well, we we have it here, so let's uh, make you know lemonade out of lemons kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um. But um. So, what was your uh, what was your I don't know what was your first vintage? Uh, what was your first release for you guys? Ninety six. Ninety six. Okay. But it, it was just doing what other people were doing, right? So Chris, Bert, yep. Bruce, to a certain extent, yep. you know, it was kind of like just taking what other people were doing and 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 tasting those wines and being like, wow, the whole cluster thing's cool. And so we went for it out of the gates, like 100% dogmatically, you know, and we had some Pinots in the 90s that didn't, that were all, you know, they're kind of green and weird and they kind of went south. But, um, you know, it, it's like blowfish or raw chicken. I mean, you have to kind of, you, your game has to be pretty good. to, to do. <laughs> and so, um, and it, we're always refining, we're doing the best we can. But I think, I think with this Machado in particular, when I smell it, I, I keep saying it primitive and elementary, but when I, I smell it. I don't think about wine or Pinot even, but what it transports me to, and mm-hmm. maybe it's a little suggestive because I'm on, on the East Coast, but again, visiting my dad, like he lived on, you know, Long Island Sound, like Little mm-hmm. Harbor. I'd walk from the house, like down this gravel pathway in the summertime to the harbor and mess around on the beach, whatever. But the wild berry bushes in New yep. England in the summertime, yep. there's like, yep. there's something savage and brambly and. It is brambly. And it's like, great, yep. poke, you know, like, yep. like, like those bushes are, and there's a, a, a very slight greenness. But for me, stems are like a corset, right? We've got this really generous, curvy fruit, and the stems frame that fruit. They prop it up. They lift it up. Um, and there's a savory piece, yeah? Like the way soy is on sashimi. Like it renders the richness savory. And ideally, stems are, are providing that kind of voice through the wine. That's mm-hmm. always the goal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Man, that's freaking amazing. So um, and so you're doing this. You're growing this out. And like I said, then you, you, uh, you were instrumental in Melville, Um who who's behind Melville? I mean, I, who who's the family, or what was the what was the force? Obviously, you are the winemaking force, but like who? who? Well, yeah, but it, it was collaborative. My whole yeah. thing is like working together with okay. people. No one, I don't make anything. You know, it's like we, it's under our watch for. Well, we're very careful. We do the very best we can, but it's all about discretion and, like. Like you – these wines are yours now. Like you cared for their temperature. You yeah. cared for how they were opened. Yeah. You cared for the glassware, yeah. right? So it's, it's very transitory. It's, yeah. trans, it's ephemeral. Mm-hmm. Like it's mm-hmm. not – it's not like I'm the winemaker. You, know, yeah. you know, it's a relay. Like it's so – I'm responsible for a while but then it's like it's yours now. Yeah. And so, you know, Melville, you know, was very much that. And it's a very, very kind family. You know, it's Ron Melville's the father, mm-hmm. two sons, Brent and Chad. So Chad's heading everything up now. Um, production farming. He was farming. He farmed the whole time. Mm-hmm. So we worked. Mm-hmm. We, our desks were this far apart for each other for twenty years, um, and so you know it's their family's thing, and you know they're on both sides of Babcock, and it's a beautiful property. And I, they gave me amazing opportunities, and I met so many people, um, and I learned a tremendous amount there. And then it was just it was an appropriate time to move on. Yeah. Um, at the end of fifteen, um, for a myriad reasons, it just made sense, mm-hmm. and um. And they're doing awesome now, and and it's great. And looking back is cool. You know, at first it was hard to leave. You know, because it was like my, I gave everything to mm-hmm. it. I was a partner for a while. Mm-hmm. And, um, and now just like seeing it com- continuing to excel and get great scores and jam and and be so vibrant in the marketplace is great. You know, because it's it should. I mean, if you it's, it's almost like raising kids or something. You know, if, I was like, it's like if you do a good job, free, yeah. yeah. I mean, if you do if if you do the best you can somewhere and offer whatever, contribute all you can. As one of the pieces of the puzzle, and then if you leave and the puzzle is still cool to look at, then that's awesome. 
You know, totally. No, I, I love it. that. Yeah. I love that. So when did um <clears throat> we'll get to that? But uh, is it dia or diatome? Diatome. Diatome. Um, did that was that in the works? Because you obviously are a very thoughtful person. Was in the works when you're at Melville, or like when did when did, when did you uh, when did you conceive that idea and bring it into fruition? Yeah, so it's a great question. So it kind of started at Melville. So you know, let's go back to 2000. Okay. So picture you coming to Santa Barbara. Yep, yep, yep. That era, and you know, I love I love Japan. I love things that are raw. I love like the precision of that culture and everything. And um, and pride of work and craftsmanship and everything. And it was also an era when I was working in New York a fair amount. And it was an era where a lot of Psalms were like, oh, you know, I don't like chart, you know, I hate chart. Like it's all about oh, Gruner, yeah. Riesling, whatever. Yeah. And, um, ABC. And, uh, and so, and so it was like a fraction of the motivation was that it was mostly like this very sashimi, pure, mm. restrained kind of thing. And so at Melville, I had an idea of a wine that we did called Enox, which is French for stainless steel, right? And, it was, and I remember, you know, calling Ron Melville and saying, you know, I've got this idea. There's this block called A1. And I said, um, it's almost like Wagyu. It's funny. It's a block <laughs> called A1. And, um, and I was thinking about doing like a little 100K slot in a stainless steel tank and like, like tight, cool. Like not, not like an entry level opening band, Chardonnay, but like something really cool and raw and like cold, stainless, blocked mallow, early bottling. And he's like, and he was a day trader. He's like, what's my risk? And I go, nothing. I go, if it's lame, we'll put it in the estate wine. And he's like, okay, great. Let's try it. And I said, and it needs to be like at least half as much more than the estate wine because it needs to be perceived like a slice of Toro or something, mm, right? It, you mm-hmm. know, and so um, – and it was in the era of like heavy glass and stuff. So it was like heavy bottle, like silver wax, the whole thing. And and it was really successful and it was cool and it was very rewarding to do and the, and people were ready for it. And so then that – that gave birth to diatom in 05. So a diatom is a plankton fossil that we have a lot of in Lompoc where the winery is. It's um, you know, fossilized plankton. It's used in filtration. It's used in freeway paint. It's like shards of glass essentially. And I wanted to kind of celebrate the landscape and use Chardonnay as a vehicle for it. Um, and so that's what, what diatom was all about. So that started in 05. Um, and it was – it's been very disrupt, beautifully disruptive in the marketplace yeah. because it's – so frequently in life, there's polarity, right? I think yeah. if you start with something like rich and intense, there's a tendency to build on it. So it's either like, oh, it's big and decadent and over the top, or it's like lean, high frequency, high strung, pitchy, whatever. And the diatom model is is exploring where those two things meet. It's, it's big and neutral, yeah? So big, intense, voluminous, driven Chardonnay raised in a vacuum. It's very cloistered. It, it's It's done like the tightest, leanest, most succinct way possible. And I think it's funny. It's it's a wine where it's it's such a specific discipline and approach from one area, and the audience for it historically has become very vast, right? Because if if you were into Chardonnay that's bigger and oak and toast and vanilla and spice, you're not bummed out. It's a really big wine, mm-hmm. it's a big mm-hmm. intense mm-hmm. Chardonnay. And if you're like, oh, I hate Chardonnay, my mom drank Chardonnay, like whatever, then you're you're also on board because it's void of some of those elements that are awesome in Chardonnay, but some people are not into, right? And so it kind of – it's very comp- it's very complete and inclusive as far as the style. Um, and it's been it's been really, really cool, you know? And so that's, that's diatom in a nutshell. Yeah, no, that's great because I, you hit so many incredible points with, with just in that whole time we're talking – whole time I've known you. But um, about – so like you're right. Some people rail against – Chardonnay and and 
you know, I tell people like, you know, white burgundy tie in 100% new French oak. Okay. So like you said, the polarity, like, like Chardonnay and Pinot Noir, they both love new oak, but it, what do you want to make? And can you dial it down? And, and there's ways, but, but like, I love what you said because you know, th- there is this thing there are, there's a whole, cause people read stuff. They don't, don't interpret it, you know, but like to have a wine, I can't wait to taste it. Um, that provides that richness that like the, 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 the you know, the, that became so popular in style and commercially and not, not craft the way you are, but then also it's just like, it's got that finesse and that lean. So, so many points you just hit that were incredible there. So, um, what was your first vintage of uh, Diatome? Two thousand five. Wow, man! Yeah, I mean, so dude, so almost twenty years. Yeah, but like, you start and you started made your first wine in ninety five, basically. 96. Yeah, ninety six was Brewer Clifton. Yeah. Started at the taste room in ninety one, and then like you're you got you got like three different wines you're working on by that time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But Diatom, you know, it, it's the most – it's really the most personal in some ways. It's very solitary. It's very it's very stark. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's like stark and empty and solitary. It's not lonely, but it's very singular and it's very, it's very, very stripped down. And, and what's been so fascinating about this wine as well is that you – know, here I am. It, it's Chardonnay from a very prominent Chardonnay growing region. Yep. Raised in stainless steel, dude. I, I haven't hung the moon and stars. It's not that big of a deal, ultimately. However, but, but mm-hmm. um, the response to it has been crazy fascinating to me. Like I remember, you know, Parker one time wrote, nothing like this exists in California or anywhere else in the world. Like Karen McNeil wrote, she never thought Chardonnay could be this exquisite. And I was like, wow, that's so fascinating. Yeah. And it's a function of the area. You know, like our area is very special, and everyone will say that about their area. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I've but, lived in that area, and 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 the especially, I've skydived over. Oh, nice! That's where we skydived, <laughs> and so like it, it's such, it's a place that you can't even fathom. Like the, seeing things over air, it, like it, you see why it's so special. Like that coastline is is pretty rugged for i mean it's not north coastline of Calvin, but it's pretty rugged like it's not it's very rugged yeah and, and i think I, I i i share that a lot when i'm doing things with people like from far away like international things or whatever and i'm like look you guys i know you think about santa barbara and what do you think you think about royalty you think about oprah exactly. you think about expensive resorts that's mm-hmm. great and it's that it faces south it's gentle people hold hands picnics mm-hmm. on the beach balloons cotton candy sunrises and sets over the ocean yeah no it's nuts but then you round the point Yep. And you get up around Point Conception yep. and it's almost – don't quote me on this because it's a weird thing to say. But it's like the, an equator of California. Yep. You go around that bend and it's, it's a different animal. That right. ocean is cold. Yep. You've got different sharks up there. And it's – you don't hang out on the beach out there. No. You wear fleece. You listen to The Cure. You write poetry. <laughs> and it's very – no, it's a more contemplative coastline. Yeah. You don't hang out like, right. oh, yeah, let's have yeah. a martini. Like it's you're, not Spicoli. You know, it's, no. you're, you're bundled up. It's more and, like Heather's, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> and so – and our area – breathes that in you know we open up due west onto that landscape and so day in and day out the wind the fog all that um and our soils are empty it's all beachy stuff out there so it's like it, it it's just a specific place and i think i think it it shows in the wine because that you know diatom is a very there's nothing there you know it's a very raw empty wine spiritually emotionally 
motivationally, but but I think the the wine's intensity and power and intrigue is found from the place only. Yeah, yeah. Um, amazing. So I'm gonna pour some of this, and wow, I'm give you a little rinsey rinse. Let's. Um, but Chardonnay and Pinot Noir weren't enough for you. <laughs> no, you had to. You had to like you know uh, make some cool climate Syrah. So talk a little bit about ex post facto. Yeah, just for you because I know you're a Rhone guy. I am. Uh, uh, I almost sent it and I thought that would be like too cliche to send it to you because you always talk and love about being Rhone things. I um, – too obvious. I uh, – I, yeah, so it's funny. You know, when I was at Santa Barbara Winery, we grafted some Syrah in in 93. And so I started working with Syrah in 93 at Santa Barbara Winery. And we planted a good amount at Melville. So I, my whole career has been with Syrah. Yeah. I've just never – Never done it, you know, kind of on – I hate the word I. I'm sorry. Like we never produced it on our campus at Brewer Clifton. It was very Chardon Pinot and that was it. You know. Sorry. And then um, – It's all good, man. I, people know that we we consume wine. Yeah. And so um, – Listen, and, that was my rinse and wow. That was on my rinse. <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, it was back in 2016 and, you know, I, I had different partners at the time. And they had this idea of like, oh God, you know, what, let's maybe you know spin off and do a, a, a Syrah thing, a really cold climate um, Syrah program. And so, and so we kind of kicked that off. And then in 2017, um, at the gift of a lifetime of joining forces with the Jackson family, and we had the Syrah in barrel from my former partners. And I kind of said, well, I'm not sure if you knew about this. I mean, obviously you knew about it, but and, and I, I said, I don't know what the plan would be, and. And, you know, they were very in favor. And they're like, yeah, let's develop something. Let's start a project around it. And that's how ex post facto came to be. Um, I love Syrah. You know, I really see it. It's such an interesting grape, you know, and it's – in a lot of ways, it's a perfect grape. And, and, and why for 30 years? All I, I've heard so frequently, oh, it's I love it, but no one buys it. It's so hard to sell, whatever. I've heard that from everybody. And it's it's so funny because it's like for me, if, if Pinot and Cabernet hooked up at a bar, like they'd have Syrah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. kind of like the best of both worlds in a that. lot of ways. And in a cold spot – Syrah is great anywhere. In a cold spot, it, it, it maintains something so pretty and peppery and I don't know. And I, I just – you know, and it comes in really late season. It's like the bar crowd for us at work. You know, like we have our first turn or two of Pinot and Chard. It's like pre-theater or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and Syrah rolls in at like 1030 or yeah, 11 yeah. and, you know, you, you give it good service but you're like – you're coming yeah. off your – you know, the more high-strung, you know, audience. And um, it's all a whole cluster. It's very old school. Um, but that's ex post facto. And then, you know, lawyer and you, you know, in legal terms, obviously, you can't be accused of a crime if it wasn't a crime right. when you committed it. Yep. And so there's something kind of like, you know, it's a little cheap, but like naughty about me doing something. No, other, I get it. Other I, than I, my yeah, paradigm. Yeah. What, what, who's and, this you know, guy who makes feel yeah, on yeah. Chardonnay? So there's something kind of like against the yeah, grain, yeah. like I shouldn't be doing this type of thing. And then the, you know, it's, and then, you know, that we don't have the bottle here, but the label is like, is type keys. And, and that goes back to mom. And I remember, you know, being, being a kid and going to court with her really. And I, I'd go to her office. I was 12 or 13. I'd read a crime report. I'd meet the victims, witnesses, detectives. And then I'd go see her in court and it was amazing. And it was the era of typewriters and stuff. And I've always know, been intrigued man. by letter exchange, typing. I, I love that commitment where you – like, you know, writing a, a note to a girl you have a crush on in yeah, third grade. I think I, you I, write and you commit yep. an emotion to someone yep. and you can't control the outcome. Yeah, wow. And that's how we approach our wine. When it goes to barrel, we rarely taste barrels ever. Mm. And we always – we don't blend the way people normally blend. It's like this surrender to the craft and surrender wow. to the landscape. 
we're really careful, but you know, it's in barrel. It, go, it hits barrel after you know at the end of harvest, and then it's like it's a mailbox. We've done the best we can. Mm-hmm. We've sacrificed everything we have to that product, and then it's done. Like, what are we going to do to coerce its outcome? Mm-hmm. We're going to let it be what it is, mm-hmm. and so that's the ex post facto model. Um, amazing nose. It's 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 like a uh, outcast song. It's so fresh and so clean. <laughs> yeah, back uh, to diatom. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, diatom. But I want to. I, I just because I was just. But the ex post fat. So Sonia actually had sent me a bottle in a box. Uh, she sent me some of your wines, and I was like, oh. And you said this. It's very interesting because, like I said, that Babcock Black Labels out in Santa Rita Hills. Um, I had Dottie and John were on here, and they brought a wine, uh, Commence a Dream, mm-hmm. Syrah, and it was Santa Rita Hills. And like, you know, like Greg said, I, I am a Roan. I love it all, but like I'm going to default Grenache and Syrah. I'm just going to default there um, just because I think they're so flavorful. Like unless I'm drinking some really good Pinot, like, I, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm going to default there. But like, you're right. I'm like, and hers is not like big. It was like. Thirteen nine, maybe fourteen. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be super big. You get all this extraction, but the florals and the pepper—they're so pretty—and the and just and even the color of the wine, like, mm-hmm. it, like it's almost like it, like it's like luminescent sometimes. Just rolling, like God. What, and these are both wines that there's no chemicals make a purple. Like it just it's this luminescence in the yeah. wine that is just it's intox it's it's intoxicating looking at it. it's not even drinking like you're like this is it's drawing you in yeah you know and and i and i loved the the deft hand you had on that uh Syrah. like i was like this is and then and then obviously you know if you can have the patience to drink over a few hours it just starts you know it starts showing itself even more and more and more it gives it gets a little bit it gets a like and i wouldn't say slutty but it's like 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 the sleeve falls it's like hey yeah, big yeah. guy like i got i got the sure. fruit you got the flavor it's you want conversation. <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. all a conversation it's all a conversation yeah there's icebreaker yeah. and then you, yeah. kinda, you know <laughs> <laughs> what's next <laughs> um so you mentioned earlier um that also with ex post facto that um it came out of your relationship with uh Jackson Family Wines um, so let's talk about that if you don't mind. Um, of course. Uh, what's it like, um, to be approached by a, a bigger, uh, uh, you know, uh, lack of a better word, conglomerate who's interested in, in, in purchasing your wine? And you, this is like, and you're, you're so thoughtful. Like, and you know, I, I fly off my mouth and say shit all the time that I don't know about. But, um, but like, what's it like? What was that like when they approached you? And then what did you go through when you agreed to sell the label to them? It's, it's incredibly flattering, right? I mean, you know, when someone reaches out to you, especially with a, you know, the the earned reputation of, you know, a family business that's mm-hmm. born out of wine and vineyards and land and farming, you know, and, and you know, a, a family that is so invested in California, and they've been so invested in Santa Barbara for decades, yeah. Cambria, things in Los Alamos, everywhere, is such a prominent part of Kendall Jackson, our area is and has been since I was like we are. Yeah, I mean school. you go. I mean Forever. you go up and down the 101, and, and you're like shit. They own a lot of vineyards. A lot. Yeah. I mean up and down every. You know, and and it's farming, and it's it's really it's really beautiful. So when they made the overture, it was oh my gosh, and I had partners at the time, and they and they were so kind and so awesome, and they loved being a part of the winery, and um, and you know, and I said, hey guys, like this would be an amazing thing in my life to be able to work in the service of. 
this family and mm-hmm. in in this kind of situation. And and so the the partners I had um, from they were so beautiful from fifteen to seventeen. Um, you know, they they were really kind to me, and they said, "Yeah, we can tell this is meaningful to you. Let's do it." And then it was it was quick, and and I can say, you know, I've my career has been amazing. I've, I've had some really scary times, you know, and sometimes I know I know, especially in this format, yep. you love talking about like you know darker, harder yeah, things. Yeah. And I, oh eight to twelve, thirteen, fourteen were very, very dark for mm-hmm. me. It was really hard. Divorce mm-hmm. was really hard. Economy mm-hmm. was really hard. You know, I did things to keep this business going that I wouldn't say on the air. I mean, it was yeah. we we you do what you got to do. You know what I mean? And so, bro, I know. Some, <laughs> no, some really yeah. really challenging times. Yeah. Um, and and I've been on the covers of magazine. I mean, you know, I've had some highs too. I'm yeah, yeah. And it's been a roller coaster in a lot of ways, mostly good, but you know, some, some you know some really tough stuff too. The past five and a half years of Jackson family have been the best. Like I've never felt more supported. The wineries have never felt more mine. I love serving people. I love pleasing people. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing. And I think you know sometimes I'm asked a lot, especially old friends of mine. They're like, especially right after we joined forces. That sounds big. We, I know what you we, mean. We got together. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like, oh, how long do you have to be there? How long is your contract? And I'm like, dude, I'm in. Like, it's amazing. Like, why would I go anywhere else? Um, and, and that's the knee jerk. of like, what's your next gig? Are you going to yeah. start another label? Yeah. And there's no way, you know. And, and I think, you know, sometimes when you think about a, a bigger operation, there's this, this funny tendency. I'm not sure why to, like, not be as into it. And I think about other – other things like hotels or cars yep. or whatever. Think about Volkswagen Auto Group. I always go back to Volkswagen as a default. Volkswagen is awesome. And my first car was the Scirocco. I had a GTI. Oh my I god, it. I love the Scirocco. Yeah, Sixteen valve. That's <laughs> my first dream car. car. Yeah. <laughs> um, and no, so Volkswagen owns Porsche, Audi, Bugatti, Lamborghini, Ducati. Right. So there's stability in the buoyancy of a company that has that, and a company like that. Needs if it's I think managed in a very confident way needs things to be expansive, yeah. You don't need a zillion Jettas and a zillion whatever, but the Ducati piece, the Lamborghini piece, like it's a different thing. And so I like I have this big octopus tattoo on my arm. Like I see myself like an arm of an octopus, mm-hmm. and it, it encourages me to push even harder, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Because we have Hartford Court, we have Copain, we have these beautiful wineries in the company, and I'm this weird deviant thing in Lompoc. And I need to keep being that. Right. That's you know what I mean? And probably what attracted them to you. Right. Because I'm in a warehouse in Lompoc with yeah. old barrels, dude. There's not that much value in me. Right. Well, I, except I, for I, maybe – well, I mean, you know what I mean? Except yeah. for maybe there's a a cultural thing, right? So yeah. then, so anything that we can do to keep fueling that culture and keep pushing that culture and all they want is for me to keep feeding it, you know? And it's just – and they're always there to – like anything I ever would need. And the thing is, I don't need anything except for their support and sale and, and buoyancy. COVID would have taken me out, you know, but we're, we're a buoyant mm-hmm. company. Mm-hmm. And so we mm-hmm. weathered that storm. I'm like yeah. a Navy SEAL or something. Yeah. And I was able to jam back to the mothership yeah. and have some clam chowder and a new sweater to kind of warm up and lick my wounds because like a great white shark was going to eat me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yep. so yep. – and with that comes a calming at work mm. because we're not stressed about payroll every two weeks. Yeah, no. And I, I was for a long time. I believe it. I mean, Eric Jensen said something similar, like, you know, because he, you know, it's, you know, he was like, dude, I could never imagine that, like, now I get to do, like, I get to do what I want to do and don't have to worry anymore, man. I get to just focus on this. Like, and he's a big farmer. Like, I get to focus on what I'm good at and know they got me. You know, so I, you know, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, you, you said earlier about, um, you know, going through the divorce, 
Um, and I don't want to talk about divorce anymore, but I would like to talk about your 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 wife Sonia, who you're with now. Who the I think Macedonian the, Marvel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, so tell everybody, tell everybody your wife's name and a little about her wines and how'd you guys meet? I don't even know how you guys met. I mean, yeah. obviously you're winemakers. Sonia, but... Sonia Magdevsky. She's yeah. incredible. She, um, amazing woman. Yeah. We've been married for six years now. We, um, we met in 2012 at Presqu'ile and it was a round table discussion. Mm-hmm. I'd heard of her, but I didn't, you know, and it was like six or seven producers, also a wine writer and... And I was like, he and I were like on the opposite sides of the table. It was I was like the old patriarch, I guess, in the winery. <laughs> and then some other producers on both sides. And um and she's beautiful and cool and it was great, but you know, we're friends and it was fine. And and she was in a long relationship and she was engaged and living in Malibu and and I was dating different people and in relationships and um but it was friends. It wasn't like, oh hey, wow, right, let's right. throw caution to the wind and do this. It was like, oh hey, what's up, bud? You yeah. know, it's that and and then it was 2012, so we were still struggling at work. And so I was looking for custom clients to come to work to help subsidize mm-hmm. rent and stuff. So she came on as a client. Um, it was all cool, friends, whatever. And then um, and then you know, and then she and then we asked, you know she left for a while, and that was a whole other conversation. And then um, and then came back and different things. But we were just friends. And then it was um, end of 2014, and we just like left a wine tasting together, Rick Longoria's place, one evening. And it was so funny. We just like walked out to the car together, and and then it was like kind of a long hug, and it was like, oh whoa, yeah, yeah. Like, I've, I've had that where, where you're like, whoa. Oh, that wasn't just like a pat on the back, peck yeah, on the cheek. Like, oh, let's get like coffee. That heart to heart. Yeah, yeah. It was, was like, like, oh whoa, that was energy. And we started texting that night. It was all you know, innocent and cool, and um, yeah. And then I, I wasn't anticipating being married again. I mean, I'm, I'm good solo. I'm was fine, and um. And I, you know, and then we started dating. I, unbeknownst to me, she was getting out of that relationship, yeah. and in mine, the one I was in at the time wasn't awesome, and so the timing worked out. And um, and then you know we started dating, and it was like I couldn't imagine not living with this human. I mean, she's so everything about her, and and that's it. And her wines are amazing. She's amazing. I mean, she brings such life and spirit, and she's so creative and driven. And talk about gritty, you know. So she's. You know, second generation. I mean, you know, Macedonian. So from Macedonia Detroit. isn't even like really a country she's anymore. Real. So, so no, like, she's so like, she's exactly she's like, Slavic, so like, like, like yeah. those are people who are like, like, like who are badass. Who are like, yeah, like, and her I've seen the pictures of her, her grandmother. Yeah. Oh my god, Dude, her folks are badass. She's bad. You know, but like they were. They had you know Baskin Robbins. Her folks came to Detroit and they were teenagers. They didn't mm-hmm. speak any English, <sighs> and it was that story. Yeah, and then it was you know a Baskin Robbins, a dry cleaner. Invest in a building somewhere and work it. They worked around the clock, right? And and Sonia was raised working in Basquiat. When you watch Sonia sweep and mop, you're like, whoa, you got game. Like, <laughs> that's the only time we've had conflict is if she's sweeping. And if you go near her pile, she's like, it's real. And she's so like, yay, rainbows, butterflies, everything's pink. Everyone loves her. She's pigtails, whatever. Yeah. She's slob. So there's another side of that where <laughs> you cross her and it's like, oh, wow, that's there. So when she's sweeping, you just stay out of the way. <laughs> It's a real deal, and um, no, she's you know she's just a force, and she just I can't even I can't even say enough. You know, she's so incredible, and her wines are incredible, and she's so her spirit just lifts everyone around her, and and she's really tough, and she's gritty, and and what I love, you know, our relationship is so great because we, you know, when we get home, it's late. You know, we both work all day. Yeah. We get home, it's late. We we talk about. The business, I guess, but it, what's cool is, and we've got wine, you know, whatever's like leftover, wine's around from friends, whatever. Um, 
But it, it's it, she always says it's like the shorthand, you know. So she'll come back from her tasting room. I'll come back from like being on the road, and then we just get right into it of you know, just sharing what happened and and the 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 support of that is something that is just such a gift. It's a gift of a lifetime. She's made me such a better person, and yeah, she's incredible. Yeah, mm-hmm. and she's she's in Los Alamos, so you know, there's this little town in Santa Barbara that. You know, back when you were there, dude, Los Alamos was sketchy, dude. Ew, it was like dude. Not it was, a place it was, to hang it was, out. It was, it was, it was like, like – it was like okay, – here's what I say. I mean imagine – you see those fucking westerns as tumbleweeds yeah. and you're like, like, what are you doing around real. here, buddy? Someone will draw on you and shit. That's, it, was yeah. like, it had that feel to it. And it was real. I mean yeah. there was a biker bar and a Mexican – I mean it, it was star. You just rolled through. Yeah. That was it. It's like – on my way to San Luis <laughs> Yeah. And now there's a Michelin star restaurant there. Uh, and she's and it's so funny, you know, back to the whole lucky thing. People are like, oh my God, you're so lucky to be in Los Alamos. And she's like, okay. Yeah. You know, she she went to Los Alamos because that's all she could afford for yep. her tasting room. Yeah. So it was 800 bucks a month. And she's like, she posted up there and she's like, she washed her own glasses at night in an apartment she borrowed. I mean, the whole thing. And um, and so just again, that that gritty stamina is I'm gonna like choke up, but it's it's beautiful. Yeah. Um and her tasting room now is amazing, um, and and what I love, I mean, there's so what you just love Sonia. Okay, you you meet Sonia, she smiles, you just love her, but she's you know you don't want to fuck with her. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that's why Pam loved you too so much. It was so realness, you know, the realness. She she had this, uh, my wife Pam. She thought like like you see people, you don't know how wine people are, but you guys are so real and down earth. And but like. Um, you guys also do some crazy fermentation thing together. What, what is that thing you guys are doing? So yeah, she makes she Sonia <laughs> makes a, a co-ferment cider. Yeah, thing. and every year the grape is different. She does that, and it's such a hassle. And she does it at work, and it's like a hundred case thing. And I'm like, what? Like why? <laughs> like the, the juice comes. It, it gets, it's just a night. Like because I'm very. It's very strict. Like I only wear black, and like the winery is like It's like the same. It's like a yeah, you're train. like you're like you kind of, you're like. A, remember the original, the fly, not the original, but the one with um, Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh yeah. Just like I'm wearing this. It looks good for sure. Because I got to go to fucking work. Hundred <laughs> yeah. percent. Always the same. Yeah. Like you know, unyield. It's like it's. I'm a total softy. I'm crying. You know, it's like I'm. But it, yeah. like at work, it's very that. She's like, oh, let's try that. That looks fun. Like, and so I gave her a hard time for a while. I was like, God, this is such a nightmare. Like, why? You know? And then one day it was so funny. It was like, when you take a road trip with someone and you have some crazy, stupid, st- like, idea, and it stays in the car. You yeah. know what I mean? It's so fun. You get laughs. Right, and then right. you're like, oh, that's funny. Yeah. Like, let's move on. So one day we're at home and I was like, you know, it's just, somehow like the idea of like cider factory came up. And I was like, yeah, and on the label, there'd be like a, like a, where, like a factory and there'd be a, and a rainbow coming out of the factory and an apple with a worm coming out of it. And like no secrets at the factory. All this, like, it was like this funny joke. And then it was like a few months later and she's like, well, here's the label proof. And I'm like, no. She was Sonia and Greg cider factory. Exactly. You know, like, and so anyway, so she, yeah, it's her thing. And so like the Sonia and Greg part's really funny because it's like, it's almost like, you know. That's so funny. A joke to me to rope me in. <laughs> <laughs> Which is her spirit. Yeah. No. Playful it, and joyous. And... It's super crazy cool. <laughs> um, so, um, I, yeah, and, and just you two, it's just an amazing, uh, like I said, and, and like when you guys showed up, I was just felt so honored. Like, cause literally, like, I mean, you know, we were locked down in 2020. Um, and then I'm like, like, I got like, I was like, I was like, <laughs> All these people came to see me, yeah, you know. Of course, we and I was did. like, the winemaker of the year came to see me. It was so amazing. Um, we felt the same. Yeah, we felt the same that you were there. Yeah, you know. Um, Think and- about it. You know, Sonia says all the time, like time is the one thing we share in equal measure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
It's fleeting. There's so many demands on our time, yeah? Distractions, time, responsibility. Good and bad, you know, but like we've got – everyone has a lot of stuff. And especially now, like people are reading less, like succinct and Oh, my God. And, people are reading less. And so, you know, it's – you made the time. You you know, you both made the time to come out and, yeah. and commit yeah. and yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just out of respect for you, you know, it was – and we were invited to join you. I know. That, that was, was amazing to that, get the invitation. Yeah, I it thought just, that was, was a great night. It was awesome. I want to give you a shout out, Jeremy, because that was cool. That was, was very, very thoughtful. Cool. Like, he was like, who? who I still who rock can... my tooth and nail. Yeah, yeah I know. I know. on the plane yeah, coming out. I, I yeah. love that. That was your gym for a while. Soft day. So, you know, we have we have some time left. But one thing I want to bring it to, like, there's words you use. You use vulnerability. Um You've used, you know, like, uh, stark, um, you've used, um, solitary, um, you use repetition. Um, what is your, uh, what would you say if you could expound on your winemaking philosophy? Well, it's, it's that there's something very steadfast about the approach, right? And I think all wines taste good. Wines have never tasted better. You and I right now could go to any so wine store or grocery store, yep. close our eyes, yep. reach down to like yep. the ankle biter shelf. Yep. We'd pop the cork and, 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 and it would be fine. Yeah, I'm like, we I'm would like, have a great conversation yeah, yeah, and we'd yep. enjoy a nice bottle of wine. Yep. Right? So that's awesome. Yep. And then it begs the question, like, why? Like why be involved with – why produce it? Like you need, there's, you need to be relevant and you need – and so everything we do at work, it's not for everybody. It's fine. But it's, you know, it was an area that wasn't completely like tapped into. And the neutrality is simply that like it, it keeps that area more that area. Like there's no other influence that can be shared by other people, right? It, I love New Oak. It's fine. We just don't employ it because yeah. it, it's part of like this deal of, of being I, – I would love – I love when people say like nothing like – I don't – this doesn't resemble other things I've had, right? And that to me – is the goal. So you think about Bjork, you think about Depeche Mode, you think about Prince, you think about both things where one note. Think about Jamaica. You just like, like yeah. how are people doing this one shit? One note. Yep. And you're like, that's that person. And they evolve and they refine and there's different chapters of their career. But you know, and, and I, it was back, it was like seven or eight years ago in New York and I had the opportunity, it was incredible to have a meeting and lunch with Diane von Furstenberg in her office down in meatpacking at her headquarters. It was myself, my daughter, my old she's, – was, she was 16 then, into fashion and stuff. So the three of us, Diane – like I walk into her office, right? And it's Diane von Furstenberg, right? Yeah, I'm like – I'm, like, I'm thinking, I'm like, how did you look through that I don't, I don't know. <laughs> so so I walk in her office and I'm – you know, Sonia – I come off all black and hard, you know, and Sonia calls me Marshmallow Marshy and it's like this secret and now it's not going to be a secret. But like I started crying because her energy and power was like, oh my god, I'm – you're you and I'm like with you right now. And so it's overwhelming. We're around this big round table. We're just hanging out and chilling. And, and she had just given an award to Beyonce the night before. She's like, oh, let me read what I said. And we're like, we saw it on TV. you know. And she's like reading her notes. And I was like, whoa, that's, you're so real. The point is I asked her. I said, may I ask you a question? She's like, of course. you know. And I said, you know, from being a princess to the Studio 54 era, Warhol, bankruptcy a couple of times because her book is amazing. And just seeing, again, the ups and downs, I, go, I, go, I said, how – and here we are. And I said, you look at a wrap dress, you look at a print that you use. Mm -hmm. How have you maintained that stamina and like the endurance to do that? And and she, you know, she's playing with her, she's just so beautiful. And and she said, always be true to your brand. Mm. And she said, that's all you have. Mm. And 
and it really hit me because you, you know, that it's things change stem inclusion not stem inclusion ties get skinny because ties get fat (laughs) sideburns not shoulder pads leg warmers things come and go but if you hold on you know that that's the hard part and so that's something that i'm i'm prideful about you know particularly with brooke clifton because it's the oldest project and it really hasn't changed there's been like the tiniest Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know we we, we switched to a technical cork and i mean tiny little refinements but the 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 culture and the trip and the area has not changed and and that that's important and it it also revolves around kind of erasure of self right it, it's we're we're very disciplined we're very you know we give everything we have we surrender to the craft i've only worked on that one road for my whole career highway 246 um but it's a surrender to it because it's it's not about me you know it's about just relaying the voice of our place to the world and and being the quietest conduit possible to do that and so that's really the spirit of the winery. Yeah, I mean, I think it's amazing because you also said, which I thought was um, profound, that um, you, and this you find this in teachers. My mom always said I should be a teacher, which which I think she was most happy when I was doing what I was doing. She, I'm sad she's missing this because she passed away because she would enjoy this. My mom, and I tell people. My mom was like a black Carl Burnett. Anything Carl Burnett could do, my mom could have done. Like my mom was fucking funny and she was serious and she, she, and she was my nemesis. That <laughs> we were so close. She's my nemesis because she knew I was like, you don't know what I'm doing. And she knew my every move. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but what you said was, and I, you find this with people who, who go into education, like the service. Like when you said, you know, the, the opportunity to be in service to the Jackson family one, I, I think that's profound. Um, in, in a world where, where like it's easy to get an ego. It's easy. Like, like people, even it's probably, this isn't about me. I, I get to have these conversations. With, I'm blown away when people come in and want to talk to me. And when people will spend 90 minutes listening to conversation I had with someone who was amazing. Um, but the, like, where does that, is it from your mother? You grew up like, where's the, the humility you have? The, like the selflessness, the ability to take yourself out of it. Like, this is all you, but you're out of it, though. I don't know. I don't know if it's like low self-esteem. I, I, I really don't know what it is. But I – it's funny. I, th- I think we're all – nothing's wrong. I, I think everything is – like, people are wired for ownership or they're wired for service. Right? Yeah. And I, I think there are people that, you know, it's, it's almost like a conversation where, like, oh, I wouldn't work that hard unless it was my hardware store right. kind of right. thing. Versus, you know, for me, I'm maybe more like a dog or something. Like, I, you know, I love – pleasing people and, and I, I derive so much nourishment and satisfaction from like doing that, you know, and, and so, you know, the, the, where that germinated, I, I don't know for sure, but I, I think it's, it's ultimately, you know, it's maybe why Japan resonates with me so much, you know, mm. there's this kind of, you know, kind of disciplining and giving all you have and this heightened awareness of others, right. And this like, you know, putting everything else, first in some ways and um i don't know i mean i fall i falter i'm not saying i'm yeah, mother no. Teresa, like yeah, you know but no. I, I have an ego i mean i'm not it, i'm well, flawed. We, you I'm need flawed. You, we, we saying, all but, you, but, people you need a certain you have to have ego to get anything done in this world i think charles barker said and i agree like you have to have a certain amount of ego to get anything significant done right but can you rein it in right and so yeah you know i met with the sales team before yep. coming over here and the only reason i told them this and i i feel it to my core the only reason why we produce something is to sell it 
Yeah. Right. So it, I'm, I'm serving them. Yep. Right. And, and they, they, they inform the wines. You inform these wines because when I love what I do and there's still times in the middle of the night, I'm bruised, bleeding, cold, wet at work, alone. And I love it most of the time. And every now and then, you know, you hit those walls and you're like, wow, I'm on the edge. And I think, wow, like don't let others down. You know what I mean? Like under my watch, like I'm going to do the very best I can because sales has never been harder. Things like this are really hard. Like so anything I can do, like Brewer, like rally and figure it out because people rely on this. And if you – it's hard enough. So don't ratchet anything down, you know, and and give all that you can. You know, there's a a quote that I'll butcher, so I won't – but it's it's a Zen monk and it's, you know, like – Something to the effect of, you know, like live your life like a good bonfire, like, you know, where like nothing else remains after, you know, like mm-hmm. you, you mm-hmm. give all you have, but mm-hmm. there's like no ash, you know, there's nothing of you that remains afterwards. You've given all of yourself to the task at hand. And do I accomplish that every day? Of course not. But it, it's on my mind, you know, of 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 leaving no stone unturned and, and not in a like, oh, I do this and tinker and check every single thing. It's not that, but it, it's a... It's a holistic kind of giving of oneself to something at the expense of other things. I'm not going to lie. Well, personally, yeah. I've a lot of my life is not awesome. Yeah, you know, and but with this, it's there's been fidelity and loyalty and everything else, and I, I hopefully it shows through the craft because it's given me so much. Yeah, that's awesome. Another prevailing theme I just want to remind all you listening of was you talk about uh, repetition and discipline. Um. There's a book out now. There's a guy who studies Stoic, Stoicism. His name's Ryan Hunt. It's called uh, uh, "Your Discipline Is Your Destiny," and I love how you just like, like it's like it's what people don't understand about success. The most successful things are just something that worked that was repeated over and over. Cats, longest running play on Broadway. You go out and say the same fucking lines every fucking night. Every night, every night for a long long, for for time. twenty over twenty years, right? One of the greatest things I I saw, and, and it reminds me of you was was Glenn Fry, Eagles. Remember when they broke up? Like the guy didn't want to sing "Take It to the Limit." He's like, "I'm singing this fucking song." He's like, "That fucking song has bought you houses, put your kids through college." But and and but when they were young, he's like, "Oh, that's how you do it: hard work, grit, perseverance." We're in this amazing industry and there is, it is, it is sexy, but reality success is not sexy. I've said it before. It's a function of discipline, hard work and repetition and being willing to fail. And like you just said, like the undulations you had, everybody like diamonds were like up and down. Do you have the vision that can sustain your life? So when you got, when, like when, 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 when did you, I think you lose, but like, was there a vision? Like you, someone came to you, what was the vision when you were like, like that moment, you know, you know, in the movies where there's always a moment where, where, where like in the matrix where you can see the code or whatever, (laughs) like, like what was that code moment for you, man? I think nothing, nothing was, it's a great question. Nothing was immediate. You know, I think it's, it's time. It's exposure to other things and cultures. You know, I've always, I've always been drawn to Scandinavia and Japan and, which are which are they're very similar. Sto- stoic. They're very similar. They're kinda, I think they're very yeah, deliberate. Deliberate. They're very stripped down in a lot of ways. And um, and, and there's another book. It's called Sushi um, 
Shokun, I think was like sushi. And it's like this, you know, beautiful hard table book. But it's like, you know, stories of 20, 30 sushi chefs in Japan. And I read it and it's like, it's, it, I get so turned on to what things that turn you on. And it's, it's the satisfaction with which a life can be lived. You know, someone who literally, it's like 50 years, that's all they've done. And like, they get up at 4 a.m. and they ride their bike to the fish market and they have their basket and they meet with the same purveyors and they go and they do the mise en place and they wash their hands at whatever time of day. And they have nine seats in their, and, and like, it's this for 50 years, like, that's it. And that's a, and there's, there's satisfied. That's it. You know, that's a, like a beautifully lived life. And I think, um, that resonates, you know, that, that resonates. And I think, you know, there's something, there's something calming with that. You know, when you watch someone who's done something for a long time, you know, watch a cook, watch a musician, watch something who's like done something their entire lives, seamstress, artisan, cobbler, candle maker, whatever, like you, there's something so beautifully calming about watching their hands, isn't it? Because it's just, it's muscle memory, it's deliberate, mm -hmm. it's composed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I, that's always spoken to me. Yeah, that's how I like to live my life. Uh, and I just have to, we have to turn back to this wine before we finish. <laughs> what the fuck is this? It literally like, so this is stainless? This is no... Yeah, so, yeah, this is diatom. So the thing about diatom, and I, you, you said it in such a kind way, the motivation here is so specific, dude. It, it's like, you know, this This is from Los Alamos, this bottling. And it's... um. It's like this very specific, very singular, you know, kind of plankton fossil. That's what I'm like seeing in my head. And what's interesting is with that singularity, the outcome of the wine is vast, right? Because blind, it's fascinating when you're with people out of context, like we are now kind yep. of. Yep. Well, context of me, but, you know, but the style doesn't even come to mind. Like stainless doesn't come to mind nope. immediately. And then what's interesting is this happened this morning. It happened last night. It's not like, oh, like stump someone. What do you think? I'm not going to tell you. It's not some weird, devious, you know, secretive right. thing. But but people talk about Vermentino. People think about Assertico, Albarino. Yep. It's like this yep. oceanic, white, powerful, salty thing, um, which I think is a function of, of Santa Barbara and – you know how this wine is raised, but you know it's. But then it's, it's been really successful. It's a cool thing. I'm really. But it's proud lush of it. and tropical. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I, I don't. It's my show. I can say what the fuck I want to say. But it's literally like it's like when you hook up with that girl, like, oh wow, your breasts are bigger than I thought. <laughs> you know, like oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're like, and you're like the broccoli is like. I'm like, damn, that's like fleshy and round. It's big. but on the it's nose, a, it's a big wine. Yeah, it's a big and wine. It's precise. Right? And it's precise. So, um, which is the goal, right? I yeah, mean, I, I wanted, you know, again, I wanted deliciousness and precision. Yeah, and you can arrive at it. You know, think about something fatty. Think about Toro. Think about a yeah. big oyster. Like, you can have it. It just it relies. Oh, those on, are great analogies. It relies on salt, or it relies on something else. And so, this has the flamboyance and the give and the fat and the richness of the fruit, much like Toro, Wagyu, pork belly oysters. And with the interpretation, which is very precise, like like the seawater in the oyster shell or whatever, it that's what keeps it the equilibrium there. It keeps it framed. It keeps it corralled, because otherwise, interpreted in a different way, 
this would be very come hither. This would be very over the top. I mean, if this if this were pushed in a hedonistic way, oh yeah, it would have an audience for sure. No, dude, and it would be all. It could be awesome, but yep. it, it would be a very different. It'd be a very, listen. This could go in a direction that um, would be very crowd and very crowd pleasing. And when I say crowd pleasing, like not like on a large scale, like this this could go. You could sell this shit for two hundred bucks a bottle. You throw some French oak on this thing, easy, and people are like, "Oh my god!" Right? Like I see that, but then I love, then then I see you, and and I I see your the expression of you in this bottle is like, but I'm just chill. But I'm more angular. I wanted this, you know. But I have all I have this inside of me, and I'll give you show you some of that. But like this is this is what I really what I'm about. Which is so nice of you. Sometimes. I think if I could be a wine, I would I would want to be more like this one, and that sounds like maybe super cheesy, but but it like there's something kind of deviant, very pure, thoughtful, articulated, flamboyant, you know, and yeah. and a little like you know pushing things a little, right, you right. know. Um, I'm not saying I'm that, but like that, I would strive to be that type of person, yeah, you know, through yeah. this wine. And also, what's been so rewarding with this is that. Um, you know, when Die Time started, it was like double the price of what this is, right? It was like 40, 50 bucks. Yep. Because it, it didn't need to be financially, it needed to be perceived that way, right? I understand. Yeah, people and like, people yeah, had to take it seriously, like yep. sashimi, right? It's not like an, an opening band for like Brewer Clifton chart. It was like the same. And, and that was great. And it was appropriate to set that, plant that flag. And now, I derive so much satisfaction out of knowing that this retails for $25, right? And so our systems have never been tighter. We're farming sustainably. It's a state grown. Like, you know, it's been I'm 32 years in doing this. It's, you know, three of us at work. It's Sonia, me, Domingo, and one seasonal, you know, Juan, mm -hmm. who's awesome, who came, you know, come for two months. It's like, it's our hands. My hands are calloused and like beaten up. It's another thing I'm too. Like, right? like, like fucking. I'm real. Like, yeah. we're, this is real. And um, But the point is that like this is all we have is invested in this wine, and it's at a price. I'm not saying twenty five dollars is no dollars. However, no, no, this, this it's it's very reachable. I think because I think about if if we if Sony and I didn't make wine, and if, you know people gift us wine, we trade wine, whatever. If if we weren't doing this for a living, I don't know what we'd spend on a bottle of wine. We mm -hmm. do okay financially, you know. But I don't know twenty twenty five bucks. I mean that would be our yeah. like let's have some wine tonight. Yeah. I'll go yeah. to the store twenty yeah. bucks. That'd probably mm -hmm. be our zone. Yep. And I think about like wow I. For $25, I'm going to give someone an experience. And it, get, it gets solid score. I mean, you know, the wine, no, the wine I, fair is great. But but I yeah. I love that it's poured by the glass. I love it's on wine, wine lists for like 50 bucks. Yeah. Not a glass. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's that's, you know, and that's that's amazing. If you ever see Diatom Chardonnay on a list, you should buy it because, you know, I'm on a lot of email lists too. And and, and there's a, a old-timey retailer out here in New York and they – they they this gets sent out and they're like to like unbelievable over delivers it always gets like ninety five points as a baseline you know and 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 I know a lot of people are like ah eh, points but these are well deserved well earned like these are not inflated these these are reflective of the wines these aren't you know it it and 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 that's what they would say it's like I could find him like amazing you know Santa Barbara County. Santa Rita Hills, uh, Chardonnay, you know, under twenty five dollars. Mm -hmm. It's it's stupid. It's and I, stupid. And dude. I love that. I love that. And it's so funny you mentioned like you know if you see it on a list, buy it. 
It's so funny. I love nothing more. It's such a funny ego struck. But it, like when I'm at home and it's like that almost like sunset time and I start getting text messages from friends and they're like kind of buzzed enough. You have two yep. glasses exactly, exactly, yep, at a bar or yep, something. Yep, yep. And they're like photos or holding yep, up like, like, oh, brewer. Like, <laughs> like they had die, Tom. And we, bought, we bought three or whatever. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah you did. <laughs> I can tell. Yeah. And um, But it's fun. I mean, think about wine lists. You know, a lot of things in that range – can be beautiful. Yep, but it's more. But there, it's there more hit. Or, it's more missed than hit. Well, it's a, it, it can be a little challenging yeah, sometimes, yeah. and so you know, I love, I love that. And sometimes they're like, oh, they had it, so we bought a few to kind of like decide what the night was going to be. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? But I'm like, I'm, that's great, yeah. um, because again, the input into this wine is like in a state vineyard that we farm, SIP certified, and you know, and it's, the fruit comes into us in the middle of the night, and it's me receiving the truck. I mean, it's it's real. You know, it's very. It's a very real thing, and it's 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 fun to see it out and about, and to see the to see it more, you know, see the volume of it growing, you know, because the price is at a point where, you know, that that kind of volumetric expansion is a possibility. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's been fun to see. Nice. Yeah. So, Greg, um, last question for I have to let you go. What are you most excited about for the future? Wow, I think um, for me. Furthering the message of Santa Barbara and Santa Rita Hills, you know, and I think, again, with Jackson family, you know, we talked about legacy a teeny bit, I guess, like through Machado yep. and different things. But, you know, when we started, there's no plan, like a family business to hand down to anyone. It was like this idea, Steve and me, you know, it was like, oh, let's do this. Let's save a few grand. And, um, and it's an interesting thing now because especially working with Jackson family, like the the winery will be ongoing Yep. You know, there's a legacy yep. with a yep. greater, fa- a bigger family, which right. is really rewarding. And then also for my runway with work, yes, I'm still scrubbing tanks and punching down and, you know, it's very physical. And, you know, I'm 52. I, say, I try to say fit. It's all fine. But He's I, very fit. But, but no, but I, you know, I'm, you know, we're human, right? Yeah. So there'll be a time when I can't punch yep. down yep. and try forklifts and whatever. And so for me, you know, continuing to be an ambassador for the area, for Jackson family, Santa Barbara, Santa Rita Hills, and then and then I'm doing some teaching now, like Cal Poly, like you know, master class things. Yeah. I've never had a wine class in my life, but but I, you know, but I, I talk about bridging front and back of the house. I think about kindness. I think about inclusive language. I think about being relevant. You know, that's the type of things I teach, yep. and and that gives me huge satisfaction, obviously. And then and then ultimately, hopefully, like a parabola. I mean, I joke that like on the very tail end of my career, and hopefully, I'll be 80, 90, whatever. I want to be back in a tasting room, you know, be it ours or whatever. And I want to take like the bachelorette parties. What I mean, I want to be like, <laughs> no, like the old guy yeah, who's like yeah. just like telling stories about yep, the past yep. and pouring wine for people. And um, and that would that would be like the perfect way to punctuate a career that, you know, for which I have no regret. I've made plenty of mistakes and I have no regrets. Well, yeah. can't make an omelet without breaking eggs. <laughs> so I want to thank you so much. Thank you. Greg, for coming in. to be with you, man. Thank oh, you. Oh, man. Um Oh, man. I've wanted thank, to do this for so long. Thank, thank you, you for the opportunity. It's say. my pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs> Tell everybody out there how they can be a part of what you're doing, um, where they can find uh, your wines. Uh. Yeah. So, I mean, these days it's it's so easy. You know, we've got a great sales infrastructure, you know, with the company now. So, you know, just Google Brewer Clifton and, and you can find whatever retailer you like working with. I mean, it'll all pop up on any coast you're on, anywhere you are in the world. And then, of course, you know, by Greg Brewer, Brewer Clifton, just type in my name, wine, and like it, you'll get to me really, really fast. And I 
reach out anytime. My cell phone's everywhere. My emails are anywhere. Anyone who's listening, like I've got your back. I'm always working with you too for you and anything I can do to kind of bring you into our world. Um, you know, it's always a pleasure and it's all our website now is, is beautiful. It kind of got redone last year. And so it's, it's everything in our, we're speaking engagements, this, the three wineries, it's all compartmentalized in this one really beautiful kind of serene website. And so go there and then just track me down and, you know, anything I can ever do for anybody. That's it. Supersonic. And for all the listeners out there, don't forget to check out the show notes for each episode. You'll find the info on the wine we drank in this episode, links to cool things we discussed. So I'll make sure I put all the links for the websites in here. I'll put his social handles. You can hit him up on Instagram or whatever, Twitter. And until the next time, cheers to the Mavericks, the philosophers, the deep thinkers, and all you wine drinkers. It's your boy, MJ. Peace.